Steven Spielberg figure away. <laughs> <laughs> All right, everybody, welcome to Triple Feature Podcast. This is our second episode. Um, and Woo. today we're going to be talking about Cloverfield. That was Connor's spooky October pick. Uh, we're going to get into that later. Yeah, so, yeah. If you missed last week, uh, we basically kind of introduced ourselves. My name is Emma. I'm Freddie. And? And I'm Seabear. So you'll have to forgive us if there are any awkward pauses or if we, you know. We're we're, still feeling it out. We're not professional podcasters by any sense of the word. Uh, we're just three people that really like movies that um, talk to each other because we don't want to drive our significant others crazy. Um, <laughs> and we decided to oh also God, share yeah. that with, uh, <laughs> with you. If you cared to listen to Triple Feature Podcast, thank you for being here. Um, but yeah, we're just, we're just kind of sharing our love for movies with... Um, with the void, I guess. So, um, every week we're going to start out with talking about what we recently watched and what's on our watch list. Um, so, Connor, what have you watched in the last week since we last talked? Quite a bit, but in a bit of like just getting into the spooky vibes of October. You know, it's Halloween's approaching. It's creeping. It's crawling. So you got you got to get all those all those movies in. So mm. while I was doing errands around the house and stuff, I put on Scooby Doo and the Ghoul School. One of the Hanna Barbera uh, TV. I think it's a TV movie. It's from 1988. It's just uh, Scooby Shaggy movie. and. Yeah, <laughs> it's just a Scooby and Shaggy and Scrappy uh, movie. Uh, oh, none yeah. of the rest of the gang, um, but they go to a house that just basically has uh, all the monsters, uh, all the basically like Universal monsters, but they're daughters. So it's a girl school uh, for monsters. So you have like a wolf, a wolf girl, an invisible woman, uh, a Dracula type of girl. Yeah. And they get into shenanigans. It's just a nonsensical Scooby Doo shenanigans. And then other th- then after that, I watch Scary Godmother Halloween Spooktacular, a Cartoon Network rerun classic <laughs> on <laughs> on Cartoon Network. It is a movie feel- that they got the rights to. I'm pretty much sure, and it just was always on every October. Yeah, I've seen a- I've seen Scary Godmother like a handful of times just from it being on TV. Wow. Yeah. No, I can't say yeah. I've seen it was just... that one. <laughs> I'm pretty it's one of the, sure you know it's based it off of It's like of a, a collective, book. like, 2000s, hands- yeah. uh, like... Is it live action or is it animated? It's like a collective it memory. Animated? It's animated. Oh, no, okay. it's animated. Cool, cool. We are animation stands here at Triple Feature. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, yeah, was there more? Yeah. Was there more? Or were those like your the big two? Uh, yeah. it was just those <laughs> for just like doing errands. 
but the big the big one the the two big ones is I rewatched it and it chapter two. Nice. Uh, I have seen it, those. It twenty seventeen is every time I rewatch it is just like amazing. I love it chapter one. It is so good. It's everything that I love about a movie. Just young adult like content. I'm a sucker for that. Like the Goonies vibe and everything, and it's just it like mm-hmm. it's so creative and so great. And then they decided to make it chapter two, <laughs> and it just, <laughs> in my opinion, falls apart. It like, I, it's just so yeah. long, and it just takes so long to get to things. But then because it's so <laughs> long, a lot of the scares just don't like really matter at points because you're just kind of bored after a while <laughs> and yeah like i just i i i don't i don't know but i i just feel like it it chapter one has a special place in my heart because me and freddie actually saw it in college oh, and yeah. what a crazy experience that was 100 percent. like it chapter one was like this really big like cultural moment and like we didn't realize how big it chapter one was going to be until we showed up to the movie theater and it was literally out the door and they were closing other movies. They were like turning off the other movies that were playing just to play it in every single theater in this movie theater. I've never seen that happen because usually they're a little bit, you know, they're, they're planned out in advance. Yeah. I didn't see it chapter one when it came out in theaters in 2017. It chapter one was one of those movies that I went to go see in 2020 when there were absolutely no theaters open in michigan until october so me and another one of my friends spent many a nights at the ford wyoming drive-in uh because that was the only theater that was allowed to uh to play movies and have an audience and i'm a theater like fiend like get me into a movie theater with no lights with like chairs and like popcorn and like I'm in heaven and so I guess I could you know in in during the pandemic I settled for sitting in my car um and and watching movies but you know there weren't any movies coming out so they were just playing you know older releases and so I watched it in 2020 and I screamed out loud in my car. <laughs> I don't think there's anything wrong with the. I think that's like a that's like a perfect opportunity yeah. though for like a drive-in theater to. Oh my god! Like they drive-in made theaters so much barely money. like drive-in theaters barely are, are around anymore, and I think it's still. I think it's a really cool, different movie-going experience. So I think that was like kind of like a weird silver lining where it's yeah. like you might not be able to go to a theater, but you can go to what used to be like kind of like what you would expect to go to if you're going to go see a movie oh it was so much fun i was very grateful because i would just go every weekend because i just needed to see i needed to see movies and so uh they made so much money that summer they made so much money it was insane honestly they probably needed same with my hometown after literally see i (laughs) single-handedly kept for wyoming (laughs) drive-in you funded (laughs) the theater So, yeah. Um, yeah. Same so, with my hometown with the McHenry Theater, the McHenry Outdoor Theater. They were they were pretty popping 
around the the COVID times. Right. But yeah, no, with 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 it, it's just like yeah, that theater experience was crazy. Like Freddie was saying, like they just shut everything down, and it's like the first time I've ever seen that too. Because like when you're in the UP and it's just the one movie theater, they can pretty much make their own rules. <laughs> so they're like, yeah. oh, yeah. these college say, kids want to see this movie. Before. Like we're shutting <laughs> yeah. everything down for the night. Crazy. Like we're just yeah. only showing it. Yeah, like it's... it was so packed. Like there were people like watching it in the hall, like like going into the theater because they <laughs> over like bought tickets. Like no. it just, it was insane. It was, like, it was truly insane. <laughs> Like never, like never before seen, and never since have seen that. It was just yeah, it. I really don't and like remember it being such a craze. I and that that was the thing we were like we interested thought. in seeing it, <laughs> and then I didn't think anything of it. had a it had a big guerrilla marketing campaign behind it, I and I didn't realize how yeah. successful that was until we got to the theater, and it's like oh man, like half of the town is here to see wow, this movie right now. That's nuts. Yeah, like it. It was like it to put in perspective too. Like this was this was a bigger day than Avengers: Infinity War or even Endgame. And we went to those opening nights. Yeah. I think Infinity yeah. War was like pretty crazy, but like not it was more crazy. crazy of like people not wanting. Like people didn't want it spoiled for them because yeah. it's Infinity War. But like, yeah, it wasn't like out the door because pretty much everyone already bought their tickets in advance. Whereas like with it, it was like everyone was getting there because like no one pre-ordered their tickets for it. So it was just it, again, it was just crazy. It, it was just pandemonium. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, I think there were there were probably God, people that God bless that them, Thomas Theater. It was yeah, and it's like a ten yeah. theater movie theater, and they shut down. They had planned two or three theaters to show it off the bat. They shut down like six other theaters to show that movie. Yeah, crazy. Like, like I, like I, I think I said like after our screening, like I felt because I think there was like a family that came up to like go see like whatever kids movie that was there, and they had to like tell these kids like, yeah, no, we're not showing that tonight. Sorry, kid. <laughs> like, yeah, no. unless you want to see the the scary clown movie, <laughs> like yeah. get out of here. But yeah, yeah. It, it chapter two um, just definitely did not have the the follow up to the first one and it was right in that like sort yeah. of stranger things peaking yeah they were trying to lean into so. the the goonies stranger things kind of thing but they also tried to get this really amazing adult cast to be like the child counterparts and that's what drew me to it was because i'm a huge jessica chastain fan and i love bill Hader. Mm-hmm. um oh, bill Hader's a other, amazing other people i mean obviously like james mcavoy but like yeah, I was interested in part two probably more because I knew those actors. Um, and the story just was so lame. So yeah. didn't, I yeah, didn't, from what I've I didn't heard, connect to that. From what I've heard from people that read the book, the, the, the adult stuff is the more boring stuff. And I've always pitched that, like, yeah, it chapter one should have ended with them killing the clown. There shouldn't have been a part two. Right. And people are like, but then you don't get the adult stuff. And I'm like, well, if the, the adult, adult stuff, stuff is, is boring, boring. <laughs> yeah. then, like, cut it. But I ha- I do feel like they had to do it because, like, Stephen King would have got mad, like, when he, like, oh, like he did with Kubrick. Yeah. Stephen King is <laughs> like, not a big fan of people changing up his story all that much. Yeah. So, so I, it, it, like, I understand, like, from a studio and, like, author perspective of, like, why they did, like, the part two, which also, like, 
was in the theater reaction to when it chapter one like ended and it said chapter one like people flipped out like that was the most i've seen people flipped out at like an end stinger because everyone was like what no way like they're making a second one like because they never greenlit like them doing a second one and i remember we were with someone that read the book and she was like yeah like halfway through i'm like they're not even doing the adult stuff like when are they gonna get the adult stuff in here and so yeah like it's just but i don't know it yeah part part two's meh but part one it's an annual rewatch for me at this point it's so good yeah they're gazebos um (laughs) oh yeah (laughs) other than that i've watched uh, I gave a rewatch showing Tasha for the first time, Evil Dead 2013. Okay. What a banger of a movie. <laughs> this movie understands what it needs to be to be a remake. And I think it also doesn't help that I watched it, then Evil Dead 2013, and then mm. It Chapter 2. Because with It Chapter 2, it has a lot of CG, like very CG elements. And there's, like, some, like, practical effects in the movie. And when the practical effects do happen, I'm like, oh, my God, like, those are so great. And with Evil Dead 2013, there's obviously, like, CG and heavy, like, VFX. But there's also, like, a lot of, like, practical special effects because they're homaging, like, the original Evil Dead. Mm. And when those hit in that movie, like, it is gnarly. Like, (laughs) it is such a gnarly, bloody good time. It is so good. Oh, it is it it is what up there with my favorite like horror movies now. Fred, Freddie, um, have you seen the Evil Dead franchise? I haven't seen all of them. I've seen, um, but I have seen Evil Dead twenty thirteen. Um, I'm about to I'm about to admit to a cinema sin. I actually haven't seen the original Evil Dead. I've so seen I've Evil seen... Dead twenty thirteen and Evil Dead Rise. Well, that's a, was... I have a bigger <laughs> cinema sin, which is I have not seen any of the Evil Dead movies at all so um yeah, yeah. But, but i'm also just not a that's just not that's just you know you're not like a big Connor, you're you're person. averse to mob movies i'm averse to blood and guts so yeah um yeah I, i'm not into yeah. saw and yeah. i'm not into evil dead so <laughs> well uh, I, I i i will say i watch evil dead maybe um the original um with uh, yeah. I, I would but i, me I don't personally think I, would I would say maybe watch two. Oh, here's the thing yeah yeah evil... yeah everybody loves evil dead 2 everybody yeah. loves it well it's because evil dead 2 was a remake of evil dead yeah that's right that's <laughs> the original right. no yeah I've, I've heard all of these things before you know listening yeah. to podcasts people you know last year that's when, when what's it called yeah the doctor strange movie came out last may and it was you know a sam raimi film and people were like going back through his filmography and you know i was listening to people talk about that and so um yeah, yeah i yeah i mean the original the original evil dead is definitely it definitely holds like its place no in i think film. i should just watch evil dead too yeah it's a, it's one of those things where it's like it's a almost it's a super low budget movie that managed to just like it's like clerks rake yeah. in like it just it just had such a gigantic audience appeal well, horror in general is always gonna have oh, a yeah. massive audience um so yeah but it's it, know, it's just more of a test should I should I dedicate any time to the Evil Dead evil franchise? Dead. Let me know. Yeah. Um, <laughs> okay. What, what else have you seen? 
T-Bear? Uh, other than that, I watched uh, No One Will Save You um, because of its heavy marketing campaign <laughs> that, that targeted me. Uh, and then potentially what Emma said last episode. Uh, just Am kind of I part of the marketing campaign? <laughs> Pretty much. It's getting a lot of praise and a lot of people on Letterboxd that I follow were praising it. And I'm like, I, I should probably give this a watch. And yeah, it's a it's a good thriller. It's it's really good. <laughs> like yeah. like this is this is probably one of the best alien movies since Signs. Yeah, I was gonna opinion. say it's like it's like Signs for, um, well, I mean, yeah, it's it has a lot of similarities to Signs. Um, yeah. yeah, I think my biggest like I think my biggest like issue, and it's not with the film; it's just with the distribute distributor is that like it just sucks that disney bought 20th century fox and is just putting a lot of these like 20th century fox movies to streaming when some of these would absolutely make money and the first example was prey yeah like last year yeah was it Mm -hmm. and and then now with this movie and it's just like i understand like why they didn't put this to theaters because they were afraid like a no dialogue movie would make money but, like, the mm. word of mouth is so big right now that I'm like, oh, my God. Like, this would have been the surprise hit of it, the summer, maybe. Yeah. Like, if they released it in the summer. Or if they released it now, like, what they did, like, now. Like, this would have been the October movie to go see. Yeah. But, I, and, yeah, like, it's just crazy. Yeah, and the same thing happened with Prey. I mean, it was a word of mouth hit. And it would have been a banger in theaters, I think, Really well, with Prey, it that. was it was a word of mouth hit because of the fact of like it's the first time in a long time, and for most fans since the original, we got a good Predator movie. Yeah, <laughs> that's, yeah, Predator that, movie. that's why that's why I got like so much good word of mouth. It's like finally they did it. <laughs> like, like, yeah, let's no. go. Prey is a great movie. I really enjoyed Prey. Um, it's got that. But yeah, indigenous representation too. Yeah, really cool movie. I'm all for that. Yeah, with the res dog too. Mm-hmm. Oh man, cool. Um, other than that, I've uh, the the last couple of things I watched. I watched two short films on the Criterion Channel, the horror shorts. I watched Hairwolf and The Beaning. Uh, Hairwolf is almost like a Jordan Peele. The best way I could describe it is like a Jordan Peele style type of uh, comedy horror where it's about this uh, black girl that gets approached by a white woman that wants braids and basically like imposing like white culture into black people um so like so like using the werewolf in the way of like the white man um was kind of interesting yeah and then the beaning is is just a short quote-unquote documentary (laughs) almost like a satanic conspiracy like documentary about uh, this uh, baseball player from the Yankees that beamed this Cleveland uh, player and like how like maybe that's a coincidence of like they have like some satanic like rituals or whatever and things and that's what makes the Yankees keep winning World Series <laughs> and stuff. It's a weird, it's a weird short film oh, but that's fun. That sounds I would highly recommend though. it. I would yeah. say I, I I retract my earlier statement of I'm not really a horror film because a horror film person because there's there's one kind of horror that I will I will be seated and that is Jordan Peele horror. That's my guy yeah. right yeah. there. 
he he knows what he's doing. He's also just kind of like doing Spielberg uh, horror <laughs> in in the 21st century, and he's doing it pretty well. Pretty pretty well. Yeah. <laughs> I was gonna say better, and then I was like, well, yeah, yeah we can have that and discussion then... <laughs> at some point. And then last, yeah. and then lastly, I watched uh, the Wolfman. 20, uh, 2010, Joe Johnson, uh, director of Jumanji and Jurassic Park 3. I'm a huge Jurassic Park 3 stan. I love that movie. <laughs> it's not terrible. Um, it's not the worst. It's, um, not, it's not worse than Jurassic Park. It's not World. the worst Jurassic Park, yeah. <laughs> but, but like, I yeah. But The Wolfman is, is pretty good. It's a good, like, rated R uh, universal monster movie. And hindsight 2020, it's like, I'd rather take that movie than what Universal ended up doing later down the road, which is just action like movies with their Universal monsters. And it's just like, yeah, give me more like gothic horror, like just rated R, you know, cool VFX and stuff. Benicio de Toro plays the Wolfman. Uh, Emily Blunt is like the love interest. And Anthony Hopkins, man, he plays the dad of Benicio de Toro. He is hamming it up in that movie. Wow. You thought. You thought he couldn't get any either worse or better than in Thor? Man, the Wolfman, it's like, it's a performance. I have <laughs> never like, seen this or heard of this. I'm looking it, at yeah, it. Yeah, it made no money. Uh, it flopped in the box office. And yeah, like, it just was another failed uh, attempt from Universal to bring back its uh, Universal monsters. Uh, but. <laughs> I just I, I don't know like it's it it's cool it's fun like it I I gave it an average rating but like I I still had fun with it um I think like every once in a while I might rewatch it here and there but it was it was good all right that's that cool. that's what I watched this week uh, okay um so for for me um I have a a couple so as far as horror goes. I watched um, Jigoku, which is a Japanese horror movie from 1960. Um, it means hell. And essentially, it's just about... So it's about this man that is basically involved in a hit and run that kills this um, gangster... So, like, he's riding passenger in the car with his friend. They hit this guy, and they drive off, and he dies. So then, like, this guilt is following him around. And the the real, like... It's, it's very... Um, it uses a lot of cuts with no... Like, abrupt cuts between real and surreal... Um, I guess, like, storytelling, so, like, he's going through something, but then, like, it'll just hard cut to, like, almost like a dream sequence of him just, like, processing his guilt associated with that. Um, And he ends up going home to visit his mom, who's dying, and, like, things are just... Things just start unraveling for him. Um, And then the big sort of centerpiece of the movie is at the end, he goes to hell, and he's basically like guided through all the circles of hell it's it's pretty intense for a movie from 1960 mm. it's it's pretty gory they got like people getting sawed in half Dang. 
they got people getting their Ooh. hands cut off and like their tongues cut out. Um, it's it's intense, but you can see the influence that that film has on contemporary horror movies, like throughout. Just even so, for example, there's one shot that is used constantly, and the most prevalent example that the two of you will be familiar with is the the shot at the beginning of Midsummer mm. when they're driving that car yeah, through it's the, like the upside down and it pans upside down. Yeah. This is the movie. This is the movie that it comes from. Oh, fun! So there's a scene <laughs> where he is he's go, he's told to meet with this person on a bridge. He doesn't know who it is. He gets like this mysterious note, and he's walking up to the bridge, and then he pans under the the camera tilts as mm. he walks underneath it, and when he walks onto the bridge, it's upside down. And I'm watching the movie, and I'm like, there it is. That's the thing. It's yeah. like they do it in Midsummer. They do it in the con or yeah, in the Conjuring. Yeah. Um, I've seen it in a lot of horror films yeah. too. It's a really good yeah. technique. It makes you really disoriented and yeah. feel very eerie. You add some like, you know, light piano, creepy yeah. music there. And it, it's definitely utilized at like the one of the biggest turning points in the story, where mm-hmm. it's like this is this is quite literally where everything goes upside down. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> to, be, to be on the nose with it. Exactly. Um, but it was really good. I enjoyed it. Um, and that was like my, that was my most recent horror movie that I watched. Um, other than that, I've been on my Agnes Varda kick because that is. Agnes. I love Agnes Varda. She is by far she's, my favorite director. She's the man. <laughs> she's the man. Um, she's the woman. She's the woman. She's the queen. Sorry. She's the queen, period. <laughs> this is why she's the goat. <laughs> the goat. The goat. Um, she's also the cutest goat. Oh, I know. She's Her the haircut. sweetest, cutest goat. So I've been on my Agnes Varda kick, and what I've decided is, because I've seen like half of her movies, but now that I have a renewed subscription to the Criterion channel. I'm going to watch... Shout out Criterion channel. Oh, yes. I'm... Because they have all of her movies. I'm going to watch all of them and then reward myself by buying the box set of all of them from (laughs) Criterion. That's the plan. Okay. Um, So, I've been watching... um, I was watching some of her short films. Um, I'm going to pronounce these atrociously so they're all because they're in french so you'll have to bear with me as i butcher the names of these movies sorry agnes rest in peace what you tell me you don't speak french agnes yeah um so i watched um leopra mouth it's um it's a movie that she made when she was pregnant and it's kind of like a reflection of her feelings of you know how she feels transitioning into this stage of her life like becoming a parent and um just sort of what she sees in the world around her it's fantastic everything everything she does is just fantastic um i watched that i watched um uncle yanko which is a very popular short film of hers i would argue it's probably her most popular Um, She was in San Diego, I believe. 
for a film festival and she found out that there was an artist that also had the last name Varda <laughs> and she found out that it was her relative um, that they just weren't aware of each other so she made a documentary going and meeting her uncle and he's this artist that lives in sort of this village of like homemade houseboats with all of these other local artists and he's a a painter it's it's fantastic um i watched response des femmes which was a short that she made for french television of women talking about they're being asked questions about you know what what is a woman um it's short it's only like nine minutes long and it is it's it's a feminist like just powerhouse little short film love it um very impactful very i'm here for women empowerment i feel like every one of these movies i'm just gonna say very good but that's just because (laughs) it's agnes varda and i just cannot get enough of this woman's work um and then i watched outside of the short films i did rewatch the gleaners and i which was the movie that I was introduced to Agnes Varda with. Uh, it was the documentary that she made. It's kind of one of the... F- it was the first digital movie that she had made. It's filmed entirely on Ooh. a handheld mini DV camera. It's her talking about and meeting and interviewing the the gleaners around France, which are all of the people that go and take the leftover food that isn't harvested but it it becomes more than that but that's the that's sort of like the basis of it is you know all the food is harvested the rest of this is just waste it's going to be thrown out so then it's um local people uh people that either are underprivileged and this is one of the only ways that they're getting the food that they need it's people that are concerned economically about the amount of food waste because it's tons of food they come there and collect it as well but Agnes Varda has this way of telling stories and documentaries that is so intimate and just so earnest that it's unlike anything else so it's more than just a matter of fact statement of this this are these are these people this is what they do it's these are these people and this is how I feel meeting these people, and this is how it's changed me, and this is how it's helped me understand myself as a person. It's it's unmatched, and it's all, it's all it's so everything feels so simple, but it's done with such such intent. It's it's masterful. It's masterful. Um. <laughs> Right. That's why she's the goat. I won't. That's why she is the goat. I won't. I won't keep uh, wandering on too long about this. But believe me, I'll talk about Agnes Varda more over the course of this podcast. Okay. So the rest of the year, oh. Freddie's going to be watching Agnes Varda films on his Criterion collection. Oh yes. So we'll be hearing more from Freddie about that. Does that sure. have? A, does that have faces places? Uh, it actually doesn't. That's the one movie it doesn't have. Oh. 
Wow. That's the one movie I've only seen. You gotta <laughs> see some of her other ones. It's it's like sixty years of work. She's a monumental director. And yeah. she's the she is underrated in the French New Wave, but she is the French New Wave. Like her work and the work of her contemporaries shape the way that films are created to this day. Yay. Yeah, faces faces places is so so good. Yes. Like yeah. I need I need to see more. I need to see more too. Hop on that Criterion channel. Yeah. Hey. Okay. Um I'm going to be talking about some films that I've watched. Yeah, what have in the you been watching? Um, I didn't get to any um, rewatches or first watches this week because there was just too many new releases that I had to catch before I couldn't catch them. So um, last week I talked about. Um, Wes Anderson short films that he released on Netflix um, last week on Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. So the first one was um, The Wonderful Story of Henry Sugar, which I talked about last week. So I'll move on to his three shorter films. Uh, Started with The Swan on Thursday, The Rat Catcher on Friday, and uh, Poison on Saturday. And of those three, I would say, uh, man, I think The Swan is probably my favorite. I would say The Rat Catcher fits more with his um, tone of like his of, of, of most of his features. So does so does Henry Sugar. I think fits the tone. But I want to talk about The Swan and Poison. Those two are completely different than Wes Anderson's tone. It is, they're, they're both, they both have a whimsical vibe to them, but the events that take place are incredibly dark. And I just, I think it was pretty um, interesting that Wes Anderson kind of went that route. Um, they're based on short stories written by Roald Dahl and I and as a English teacher um as somebody who's been an English teacher I I definitely was like thinking about how cool it would be to like use these short films as like supplements for reading those texts uh because they're just basically what they do is they just they the the, the actors are reciting the, the short story word for word um while kind of acting it out and so, like, there's a there's a character who's like also a narrator, and so um, it's a very cool little you know if you've never read those stories like, but I have never read The Swan or Poison, and they were incredibly dark, and they dealt with very adult themes. Um, and anyway, I suggest you check them out. They're on Netflix. They're very short. They're like 15, 17 minutes long. Shorter than, you know, a TV show episode or, you know, whatever else you might be watching. Um, did you want to say something, Freddie? I was, I was just, that sounds oh. very interesting. It is very. That's all. I is, definitely want to check those out because I like that, I, the idea of them, yeah. like, yeah. acting it and, like, reciting yeah. this story at the same time. Yeah, it was incredible. Um, 
and they kind of did that with Henry Sugar too. Um, so it's like very quick. Like they're they're basically reading, and it's just like, but they're looking at the camera. And um, anyway, uh, very very cool. I mean, the he has the best, some of the best like English actors doing this because Roald Dahl is an Englishman and, you know, they have Death Patel and Ben Kingsley and Benedict Cumberbatch and, um, oh, Rupert Everett, not Rupert Everett, Rupert Fiend. Um, I, I think that's his name. Anyway, there's a lot of things going on. Uh, oh, Ray Fiennes is playing both Roald Dahl. So like he'll cut to like Roald Dahl kind of like talking to the audience like as an author and not a narrator and so he's playing him but he's also playing the rat catcher and he's literally like he's made to look like a rat and Ray Fiennes is doing like some of the funniest um, gaggiest and that's the one that like has a very like silly kind of like tone to it but mm -hmm. anyway um, so do yeah you, do you think that like because my thought about these shorts going on to Netflix like do you think that this could have been a movie in, in a way of like uh, the French Dispatch yeah I was just about to where say where he like, tried it, if, if, yeah. it, if it would have been a movie it would have been like the French Dispatch and I loved the French Dispatch I loved that they had those three um, you know short stories kind of like put into almost like a editorial newspaper kind of thing uh, I think this is a lot different. I don't think that because they are four very distinct stories. Um, yeah, so, I, I do think like because like I really kind of all... liked it honestly. Like if Wes Anderson yeah. released a short film on Netflix every day, I would watch it. So yeah, like, but like what, get what, the what contract I'm... out, Wes. <laughs> So, yeah. but uh, what yeah. I was getting at was just like it, it. It feels like it could have been something like an anthology, like movie, you know, type of mm, like a throwback could've. to that in yeah. a way. But could have. But he's done that, you know. Are I think they he all wanted out? to try something. They're all out, and they're all still there. Okay. So go watch them, y'all. Like they're really good. So how many is it total? Is it five? Four. four? Okay. Four. There's four, and the Henry Sugar four. one is is the. Yeah is the longest one that's like 37 but they minutes. do netflix okay. netflix does have the batilda musical also on there in their collection because i saw they have a rodal collection yeah so if you want to continue down that rabbit hole <laughs> i don't know if i want to do the rodal rabbit hole but um yeah. but yeah i was interested in wes anderson that's for dang sure um okay so another new release that i saw since we last recorded i went to see the new Gareth Edwards film, The Creator, which is an original sci-fi epic and um, something very significant. Well, I think it's significant in the fact that it's an original sci-fi. Um, it's not based on another text. It's not based on any, uh, you know, it's not a sequel to anything. It is an original story. Um, another thing that's very special about this film is the way that it was filmed it was essentially like filmed on this i don't really know the name of the camera freddie would probably know the name of the camera because freddie's the camera guy yeah it's but, very um, it's very nerdy it is very nerdy um <laughs> but, but... and and it's basically like a three thousand dollar like handheld camera and the i i, I read an article from the director's perspective kind of talking about like why do we have these like 
bulky, massive cameras that we can't really move around. Um, when we technology kind of has afforded us the ability to make really gorgeous images with something that we can hold in our hands and move around with. And so um, yeah. I would say the cinematography is a, uh, a huge talking point for this film because it's, it's gorgeous. It just looks really beautiful. Um, I would say the CGI is really good as well. It looks real. It, it looks like it was filmed in a real location. And I really appreciate when people do that instead of trying to, you know, put everything in a green screen room. Um, and other than that, I, I don't think there's anything else that's super special about this movie. Um, it, it has a script that's basically like AI versus humans. Um, but like, it's very sympathetic towards AI. And I think like, you know, Ridley Scott has done this with Blade Runner, and Steven Spielberg has done this with AI, and... Stanley Kubrick and Steven Stanley, Spielberg. Yeah, Stanley yeah. Kubrick, but also, like, Westworld was a four-season show that basically did this, and so, I, I think it's... Movie. Yeah, um, I think it's just the kind Westworld of movie. like a... What I meant. Like a tired kind of thing and I and and I I think you can do those things but you have to add something new you have to like add new layers and I don't necessarily think that happened here with the creator so I give it its props I think it's gorgeous I think it's very um unique but I also just like did it didn't do anything for me so that was the creator um I'm just I'm just glad yeah I'm just glad that that movie is getting a lot of praise because of being like an original like sci-fi movie yeah. and also the budget was 80 yeah and they're, they're gonna uh, 80 make million money. yeah they're gonna make money well, you know it, something like indiana it, it was, jones costs like 300 million to make and it looks like shit. exactly and that's that's the conversation that people movie. are talking about you can make a movie for under a hundred million dollars and make it look, and look good. amazing <laughs> so i did yeah. look at i just as a i did look it up they shot it on a sony fx3 which is. is like very yeah. much a which is very much a prosumer um cinema but what camera. but what gareth yeah. so but what gareth edwards cool talks it's about so cool. yeah. yeah i love what gareth that. edwards talks about is the lenses that he uses freddie and stuff Ooh, and like all that I'm things because he did talk about how he has a specific lens that uses like if you go to the screen x theaters the ones that fill up the whole like width of the theater room that's how you can actually see the true width that he actually filmed certain scenes on and i'm like it's dude this cool. dude it's like a, it's like a he basically lens so i really yeah, think he like, basically filmed at like uh the the uh the quentin tarantino movie the so the I hateful really, eight I really okay. think that this director, yeah. Gareth Edwards, has an eye. He just needs a good story. And um, I, I'm not I'm not giving up on him yet. I just, you know, I think this was something that, you know, if he makes a lot of money with this movie, which I think he will because the budget was so low, that I think that people are going to continue, studios are going to give him more chances. And, yeah, so um, let me move on. So... Dumb Money is another movie I saw this weekend, this past weekend. Um, It is about the uh, GameStop stock market uh, 
crap that happened like in 2021. It's kind of like amazing how fast this movie was able to be written and released like two years after this event. Um, and I remember I this event got... happening um, and I was very interested in it. Uh, yeah, so I mean, it's enjoyable. Paul Dano plays uh, the main character. But there's 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 a lot of cast in this movie that does a great job. America Ferrer is in it. Pete Davidson's also in it, and um, yeah, I mean, there's there's a lot going on, and so uh, yeah, it's one of those biopics movies that like um, I think it tells a story to people. I think the purpose is to kind of like here's this story maybe you don't know what happened two years ago you know yeah. like it's like for those kind of people that like weren't sentient um i guess <laughs> yeah, I heard it's I know, like, like what were you yeah. doing I've, like if you didn't know that that was happening like what were you doing so like i've um, heard it's adam mckay like like diet like adam well, McKay. I, I i it's it's diet david fincher it's diet social network oh. like they're trying to do the social network oh and you can kind of tell like, with more the intrigued. score. They're even trying to do. They're trying to do like Trent, Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross with the score, and um, okay, and it's 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 really just kind of it's okay, you know. I, it's nothing. It's it didn't blow me away yeah. um, either. What would you not, say? The, it's like a rental. What would you say the theme the lens that it's viewed at through so, is it viewed at as like the people doing it how, are how political do you want me to get on this podcast well okay so the reason i bring it up i can get pretty political if you want me to yeah i mean that's I, essentially honestly, I honestly care, my but... political leanings are a reason why this movie didn't do anything for me yeah i wouldn't say that it's leaning heavily into uh hyper capitalism but it's leaning into like petite bourgeoisie capitalism like it's like uh it's like we're gonna fight capitalism with small capitalism okay and i i'm yeah that was kind of my critique with with this story i do i do want to see this movie for the reason that um the there's a there's a youtube channel that i really enjoy um folding ideas and it's funny because this movie came out and I think on almost the exact same day, he put out like an over two hour long video also talking about this GameStop thing. And like when he puts these videos out, it is like thoroughly researched. So he like breaks this yeah. down from like the get go to the end of it. So I'm kind of interested to see like That's how a suicide this squad story guy, right? is presented in the movie. It is a Suicide Squad guy. He also did a video about... Yeah nfts that okay. were, that like blew up but yeah this guy um, this guy's good <laughs> yeah. so and that was like sort of his take is like it's it's kind of just a bunch of people like they're they like it's like they're saying a lot and and trying to make it sound like they're doing something that's like really good but also it's like you're also just screwing over a lot of people the yes. same way that you think you're screwing over the people that it's like you think you're screwing over people, but you're also just handing a hot potato off to the people that you've duped into mm-hmm. also buying into this. Mm-hmm. I'm going to read you a letterbox review that I really liked that really kind of summed it up for me. Um, and I have to find it. But essentially, uh, it kind of just goes with what you were saying of like, 
I feel like, yeah, they're, they're really trying to like, um, here it is. We sure showed those rich people for like two weeks that one time. <laughs> like that's kind of like yeah. how I feel about this movie is just like, okay, but you really didn't do anything. You really did something for yourself. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I, I walked away feeling like underwhelmed. I was just like, that really didn't do anything for me. So, um, and that leads me to the other new release I watched this week. Uh, which is Flora and Son. It is a John Carney movie. Are any of you feel familiar with John Carney? Uh, no. No. You've seen no, the I haven't heard what this movie that you're talking You've about either. You've seen the movie once, I'm, I'm assuming. The movie once? I don't think so. Oh, God. <laughs> I don't think so. <laughs> okay. Am I talking to people who've never seen once before? You've never even heard of once? John Carney? No. Oh my god. Have you heard of Begin Again or Sing Street? I've heard of Sing Street, yes. Oh, okay. Sing Street, yeah. Okay, so Sing Street is his third film. He first did Once and Begin Again, and then he did Sing Street. And so basically the, the common thread between all four of these films is the use of music in his films. Um, and Once is my favorite. Oh, okay. Yeah. I'm t- I just I just IMDb'd the guy. That's <laughs> why so I'm like, oh, now I, now I see. Yeah, be, Being Again, I think I saw. That's yeah, the Mark Begin Ruffalo again. movie. Mark Ruffalo, Keira um, Knightley, and Adam Levine. Once, yeah. Adam Levine. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, so once, kinda... once I have not seen. Okay, but, okay. well, you got to watch Once, because if you like Sing Street, you're going to like... You're gonna yeah, like... But I loved, yeah, uh, loved Sing Street. Way more, because that's my opinion, anyway. Um, Once is Once is a perfect film. I actually watched it in my cinema class in college. Um, anyway, so Flora and Son is a film that came out on Apple TV Plus. It went straight to Apple TV Plus. I think it was in theaters for maybe like Ooh. a week. But yeah, I um, was interested in it specifically because it's a John Carney film, and um, yeah, it's about this Irish woman who's a single mom. And she just is struggling with her teenage son. And um, she starts learning the guitar. And they start kind of like making music together, her and her son. And anyway, um, it's really heartwarming. And like, it's like a warm blanket. You know, it's a comfort film. But again, you know, it's it's a little cheesy. So, you know, I would I would give it like a like a seven out of 10 in terms of like ratings. So Okay. Um, yeah, okay. if you, if you liked Sing Street, I would recommend it. And I, you have to see once. I don't know what y'all have been doing for the last <laughs> however many years that that's been out. Um, came out in 2007. I don't know. It took me, yeah. it took me a while to see Sing Street. 2007. So. <laughs> Apparently so. not the right thing. Cause I haven't seen it yeah. once. Yeah. Once. <laughs> <laughs> not once. No, no, um, you know. Anyway, okay, so that is my recently watched. So, um, yeah, we're going to move on now. Yeah. To our first tots, pick. Tots, 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 tots. Topic of the show. October or Spooktober. Um, last week, Seabear picked Cloverfield from 2008. 
So I hope, if you're listening, that you've had a chance to watch Cloverfield before this discussion because we are not going to hold back. We are going to spoil the entire film. And that's kind of your fault if you haven't seen this movie. So, um, Seabear, you pick this movie. Tell us your thoughts. Yeah, Cloverfield, 2008, directed by Matt Reeves. Uh, director now of the Batman fame and the latter half of the Planet of the Apes movies, but a big collaborator with J.J. Abrams. Uh, Before Cloverfield, he did Felicity with J.J. and just a huge collaborator. But yeah, Cloverfield is a big kaiju monster movie. Um, It's basically spawned off of J.J. Abrams' Uh, doing the press tour for Mission Impossible 3, went into toy shops around Tokyo and always kept seeing Godzilla toys and thought, why can't America have their own monster like that, uh, an icon? And they pitched it to Paramount, and that's what greenlit Cloverfield. Uh, it is a fantastic film, in my opinion, a found footage movie. Um, it is shot entirely on a what is we're presumed a you know digital camera uh by a uh tj miller in the movie or if a a millennial Um, might use the terms camcorder yeah i was gonna say specifically a dv camera yeah just to because that's gonna come into place in our discussion but yeah um but but yeah it's it takes place all over that and uh I don't know what more to keep going over the plot, but uh, the plot of just it's uh, people uh, celebrating a uh, friend slash uh, brother going away to uh, Japan on a business. You know, he got upgraded, you know, in life, (laughs) business and work. Um, So they're throwing away. They're doing a a throwaway, you know, party. Um, But while the party's going on, uh, something happens in New York. And they go walk outside, and they just happen to see the Statue of Liberty head <laughs> in their street, and events fold from there. Uh, but yeah, it's just uh, I don't know, like it's just such a good vibe. It's just a good movie, and it just like I think like my biggest takeaway from the movie is that it just sucks that J.J. Abrams wanted this to become an icon, and it hasn't. Do you not think <laughs> like, it has become an icon? I don't think that. Um... No. Yeah, I don't think it's had this this staying power. Could, because here's the thing: like, it's Godzilla. If, you, if somebody were to say, like, <laughs> "What's the Cloverfield monster look like?" I think most people that have seen Cloverfield aren't going to be able to tell you that's what it looks like. But Cloverfield as a franchise has had staying power. But it's it's like a it's like a universe franchise, not specifically this monster, monster that was in New York City in this two thousand eight movie. You know what I mean? Yeah. Sure. So you're thinking like I mean, because if I think about Cloverfield as a movie, I think it has I think the movie has become an icon. But I don't necessarily think the monster has become an icon. Yeah. But I mean but yeah, I, don't, that's, I don't necessarily that's what I mean. think that that is a bad thing um unless jj abrams just wanted to sell a bunch of toys yeah I, but know? i do no think, it's just yeah i think it's, it's just kind of like I, I agree with him yeah yeah i just kind of agree with him that like the, the only thing that america has with like big monsters is king kong 
and we barely use King Kong as as well. And so it just would have been cool to have this like cool original monster that we could you know see more and more and try to make more like monster mm-hmm. movies like that. And just really the only big movies that we got like since Cloverfield that are big monster movies is Pacific Rim. And then then the rights that Toho gave to us for Godzilla. And that's yeah. just us doing Godzilla. So it's just like I it's just crazy Americans, that like we haven't had anything more. Well, I think Americans are more obsessed with heroes than they are with monsters. Yeah. And the toys True. that we're selling are, you know, Superman and you know, Black Widow. Yeah. We're not like we're yeah. not really like um as obsessed with like our our monsters. Um Yeah. And yeah, I don't I mean, it's a good point, I guess. But I mean, as I'm just a, I'm just yeah. 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 As a as a movie franchise though. I mean, they've gone on to make eh. a couple of pretty good I guess universe movies like i guess not sequels but yeah like kind universe of movies you know no i haven't seen well, that's, i haven't seen the cloverfield that's a whole, paradox yeah. but 10 cloverfield, cloverfield lane is I have. a banger yeah i have not seen so here's, cloverfield here's, paradox but yeah um I've here's the thing about, about it, if we're going to talk about these sequels here's or the franchise as a whole we have to talk about jj abram's whole mystery box theory because <laughs> like the the thing that the problem that i have struggling with the franchise is that what jj abrams has done with the franchise is that he basically because the thing with 10 cloverfield lane that makes 10 cloverfield lane good is that it was a spec script that wasn't intended to be a cloverfield movie and then at the end he just made uh i forget his name dan uh basically tag on well what if this was in the cloverfield universe and then that's what happened and it's the same thing with uh cloverfield paradox all each movies aren't necessarily sequels because they weren't intended to be sequels they just happen to be like last moment oh let's just tie this together but when they do tie it together it leaves more with jj's mystery box theory of like wanting more of the mystery leaving you with questions than answers and when that happens and especially with these movies being so far apart with 10 cloverfield lane being i think well i think that was 2017 so from 2008 to 2017 we finally get a sequel it's kind of like oh like what are we doing here like we'd want more answers versus more questions in this franchise yeah yeah i kind of like the the mystery to it 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 leaves it leaves more to be desired because you know when you go to see 10 cloverfield lane however long after you know eight years i don't know how long it was 2016 um then you're thinking that you're gonna get a, a direct sequel um and you you get you get like a little you get like a little snack yeah you know and it's not uh it's it's completely different and i i I like that aspect of the of the franchise it's it's something different than what other franchises try to do you know like like our it conversation like yeah they're not sequels they're they're movies that they're movies that are connected by a universe but they are entirely meant to be standalone pieces they aren't meant to be like supplementary to each other yeah in like any yeah. major way other than like 
you know, people that want to really like deep dive into lore about right. like a franchise, not, you can do that with and it's not to say, if you want to. Yeah. And it's not to say that I don't like Ten Cloverfield Lane. I really do like Ten Cloverfield Lane. It's just my issue became when it became the Cloverfield Paradox because of the fact of like it was just a bad spec script. And it's just like, oh, well, maybe we could save this with adding Cloverfield. And it's like, now I'm starting to see through the, you know, the pages. <laughs> starting to see through the lines here. It's not a good sci-fi movie. And then when they add the Cloverfield stuff, it's like, okay, I guess. <laughs> like, yeah. this works. Like, I guess I'm here But, for but with Time Cloverfield Lane, it just kind of, like, you had a really good movie. And then they throw in the Cloverfield stuff. And you're like, okay. Like, yeah. I like that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Um, now, why don't we get a little bit back on topic with specifically Cloverfield? Um, yeah. yeah, do we want to do like a little round table kind of like... Yeah, we uh, can do that. Like everybody goes around and shares a point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So so I don't know um, if we want to start with you, Connor, since it's your pick. Yeah. How do you want to sure. get that started? Um I can talk about, like, the biggest thing, the biggest takeaway that I get from, especially now watching it, um, but the before when I watched it as, like, a kid, is the 9-11 themes mm. that, that happened throughout this, this movie. Mm-hmm. Um, especially, like, watching, uh, I think it was, like, a couple years ago, I watched that documentary that the these two brothers did about... Uh, Fire firefighters in New York, mm-hmm. and then they just happen to be filming uh, on 9/11, and then the documentary just ends up going into them documenting 9/11 um, as a whole, and seeing that documentary, mm. and then now watching Cloverfield in that light, it's just like, oh my god! Like the the images and the mm-hmm. the, the visuals, you, you can't really escape that like documentation that like we've had since like. The, yeah. the tragedy that was 9-11. The smoke, the people kind of walking around, like, 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 not like even they're knowing. in a daze. Yeah. Like, um, yeah. just covered in debris, and it's, um, Screaming. Like images that we yeah. kind of, like, we watched on television, and we've kind of, like, grown up revisiting every year, and yeah. it's really hard to ignore the similarities there. Um, so... It's also directly referenced like multiple times like if you're like yeah in the there's, movie there's background characters like right at the beginning of the movie that are like is this another terrorist attack yeah like are we at war right yeah um right so like it's not it's like that's obviously like a like a a really heavy like subtextual theme but the, sure. and they're not afraid to like it's like this is supposed to be like our universe and this is like a post 9-11 america it's a it's, a, it's, it's yeah it's a 21st century 2000s i mean yeah. The in the 2000s like the the 911 attacks were still so fresh. So like anything that's coming out in that time is going to have some sort of um attachment to that to those anxieties. Um yeah. and yeah, I mean, I think the biggest like if if you see the if you see Lady Liberty's decapitated head. <laughs> and that's like the that's basic besides like the first tremor yeah. Like, that's basically, like, the first event. Yeah. And, like, if that's not a clue as to, like, what this movie is about. Yeah. About, like, what 9-11 basically did to this country mm-hmm. and did to Americans yeah. specifically. Like, that that's your biggest, like, 
it is it is flashing neon lights like this is what this is about yeah it's Um, it's the it's the zeitgeist yeah and honestly like when i went to see this in theaters in 2008 i was 17 years old and i had no clue yeah you know but watching it now it is blatantly obvious what they're doing yeah did you... i feel the same way so... like i saw i so... watched this movie multiple okay. times when i was a kid and yeah. and just like it didn't register with me and did now you see it in theaters freddie yeah uh no i didn't i saw it on dvd but i was immediately obsessed okay. with it like i, I watched little... it repeatedly yeah. i think i'm a little older than y'all because in 2008 that was my yes. senior year of high school and we went to theaters and <laughs> and man that was something that people were talking about like yeah. that was something that like it wasn't like it was not even on social media but like people like fellow students my peers were talking about cloverfield like everybody went to go see that movie and everybody was quoting things as i was re-watching this i was like a lot of the things that tj miller says i remember like quoting when i was in school because other people oh yeah like they they, they and, had a really good marketing yeah like they i remember the, the teaser trailer yeah i remember the teaser trailer that dropped before transformers because I saw Transformers in theaters, mm-hmm. and they it was the trailer was just like some footage, and then the Statue of Liberty, uh, like an explosion, and then the Statue of Liberty head, you know, landing, and there was no like it didn't say Culverfield or anything. I think it just said a date, yeah. And that alone was just like so interesting. And yeah. then like yeah, like I was reading up like they had so much good like marketing of like they even like made fake uh, MySpace accounts for all the characters. And their last nice like face. yeah no they had an entire <laughs> yeah. they had an entire their last campaign that's amazing their their last update so was the release of the movie <laughs> <laughs> and so I was like that's awesome but yeah like it like I I didn't see it in theaters as well because I don't think I was brave enough to go see it because I thought it was a horror movie because <laughs> um, as a kid I didn't like horror movies like I do today but yeah I was like Freddy I saw it later and, and probably friends of mine uh, showed me it um, but yeah I watched it a lot on DVD as a kid yeah. and immediately fell in love yeah. um, just, but just to like I guess emphasize real quick they did genuinely do like a very large internet campaign around like the mystery of the movie so there was like websites set up with like hidden messages to try to get people to like interact with this to try to learn more about this movie before it came out so there was a big like that was like the market yeah this was a secret this was a secret movie like they didn't even give the scripts to the actors what they gave the actors to audition for the movie was just old felicity and like lost like scripts like it was so secretive of like what they were doing like this is like a huge like like basically like drop like shadow drop of like a movie <laughs> like that yeah. hollywood could do at yeah. the time and it, and it was crazy like how effective it, it was right um so uh, yeah i mean do we want to speak any more about like the 911 messaging or is that kind of um, move on to another point we can. I mean, I do think that that kind of ties in. That whole theme ties in with like the Godzilla inspiration. Yeah. Um, yes. Which I do think is very. Um, I guess I is like very important. Like, yeah. Is the Godzilla messaging was that like post World War Two? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I think that. Yes. Yeah. That, I mean, <laughs> that adds up. That yeah. checks out. God's big, big, scary, <laughs> the, the, yeah, uh, like brief- unfathomable creature that destroys 
Tokyo city. city. Yeah. yeah. So That's like based that. off of radiation. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Okay. Yep. Yeah. Yes. So Message like received. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So have to have something like uh, Clover is what they the VFX people call it the monster. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, uh, to have like Clover be like a response to nine eleven, like a terrorist attack and yeah. something where like as as we see these characters go and the more that we see the movie like especially when like oh, the coolest creature design of when it releases the babies yeah like yeah. The, the the baby insects the baby and like clovers. it's baby clovers. like you like it's just like you don't like you like we don't know what to do you know like we're fighting an enemy that we don't know yeah. like what they're capable of and that and ties yeah. a lot into like the ending when we have rob and I can't recall her name at this moment. Uh, here, I got it. Uh, Beth. 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 When Rob and Beth are kind of um, the last two standing, um, or I guess crouching underneath a bridge, and Rob is trying to like kind of articulate to the camera like what's happening, and they both share this message, and it's... I call myself crying a lot in this movie yeah. because of like the deeper meaning behind it. Like it's more than just a monster movie. There's definitely like post 9/11 anxieties and like 21st century woes uh embedded into this script and he says, you know, he says something like the 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 US military's over here and this like thing is over here and we're caught in the middle. And like that really kind of like uh, that was a very interesting uh, way of, you know, it's like a metaphor for how a lot of people felt, uh, how a lot of people have felt, like, in the last 23 years of, like, all of these things that are happening that are out of our control, but yet we're still being affected by it. Like, we're being impacted by these, like, forces that, like, we didn't start, we didn't start a war, you know, but, like, our lives are impacted by it and you know she even says like i don't know why this is happening like what did we do to deserve this kind of thing yeah so i think that that ending that that ending for those two characters is a great dialogue for that point yeah even even hud says it like on the brooklyn bridge of like i think it's the 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 other brother not rob uh that one that gets killed first yeah, the one yeah. that gets killed, where he looks at HUD, or it might be Rob, either one of them. Um, they look at HUD and they go, "Why? Why are you still recording?" And he's like, "What? Like people are going to want to see this? People need to see yeah. this." Mm-hmm. And and he responds like, "Like they will. Like you know, it's on the news or whatever." He's like, "No, like people, like someone needs to be documenting like what I'm documenting." Yep. And yeah. it, you know, like like boots on the ground, and and that was also like very interesting yep. of like that perspective of like early you know at the time late 2000s you know type of stuff of like everyone needs to document stuff yeah like we have an obsession with documenting every single moment of talk talk about throwback yeah talk about throwback when when rob enters the room in the party and everyone's recording on their small flip phones like oh my god It is funny because it's like that. Your little tiny screens. <laughs> yeah, that mentality of like documenting and everything has only become more and more prevalent. Yeah, like that's just it's even taken more for granted now. at this point. Yeah. Like if something's happening, you just expect that somebody has a video of it mm-hmm. somewhere. Yeah. on a phone. Yes. Yeah, that's that's kind of like our obsession with it. 
Um, I have more points about the 2008 nature of this film that I'm okay. going to bring up. Okay. But, um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, do you want to go? No, you, you can, you go, can next? go, yeah. Because if you want, well, you're, because is it like 2008 culturally? Yeah. Why don't you go next? Because I want to talk about editing. Okay, so. cool. Um, <laughs> yeah. I really wanted to make a point um, about Lily. Um, Lily is a character that I did not pay attention to at all the first mm-hmm. time I watched this movie. I did not pay attention to her at all. Uh, on this go around, I was paying extra attention to Lily, and I think she's a very important character. But I would like to just go on the record and say that I think Lily had the worst night. Yeah. Out of all the characters. Oh, oh for, yeah. For several reasons. Um, she she was like she was like, like Clark. Like she wasn't supposed to be, to be there. She <laughs> she lost her boyfriend. Her boyfriend was the first one to go. Um, yeah. And it's, they're they're not just like casual casually dating like she at the beginning of the film makes a reference to like oh, we'll probably be married soon like yeah. they're 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 in a very serious they they they're, they're they very much love each other yeah she loses him first thing uh she loses marlena her friend we we, we know that marlena Mar- is Marlino. lily's friend because at the beginning she's like i'm only at this party because of lily um yeah and <laughs> To my 2008 um, culture, um, as, a, as a woman, I have to make this point. Lily has to walk around that fucking city all night wearing the worst heels fucking. imaginable. Like, those are the most 2008 shoes I have ever seen. And I remember wearing shoes like that, and I remember how terrible they are. And I can just only imagine how much pain she was in physically. <laughs> Achilles night. tendon gone. Like she like, was now, struggling. You know she was, and you know she was trying so hard not to like complain about it because like people are dying. But, yeah. Like she can't walk in those <laughs> shoes. She's kidding. <laughs> she wears them all the way up till when they climb the she's, building. She's she climbs up those stairs, and yeah. I finally saw her hold that, them, yeah. and I was like, thank God, she's finally taking those down shoes off i have in my notes from when i was watching this i said how the hell is this how the hell has this woman walked around new york in heels this like, whole time literally but then i have a question but but Do I, have, you think... I have another point about lily which was well, no this is this is still the question is still on this do you think the heel conversation do you think with those heels, she can outrun a T-Rex like in Jurassic World. <laughs> I mean, Honestly, maybe maybe Lily. at the beginning of the night, but not at like, you know, 4 a.m. in the morning when they were finally yeah. getting... So my other point about Lily is, um, you know, I do think she had the worst night, but like, Lily's still alive. Yeah. She's the only person. Well... Like, the last time we see her is she gets on that chopper by herself. Yeah. And like that's your who, mystery box. Who knows? You know, like she might have gotten out of there. So, um, yeah, I'm thinking Lily did have the worst night. I mean, death is not the worst thing. You know, she has to live. <laughs> uh, you know, if she did survive, she has to live with that trauma of, you know, being the lone survivor of that whole of, you know, everybody that she loves. So yeah. that friend group. I really yeah. felt real I felt for Lily on this watch. I was like that poor and she just didn't complain one time. You know, she's she was really kind of 
you know, she wanted to break down, but she was like, no, we got to do this. We got to go get Beth, you know, like, yeah. So I felt for her well, then, um, even on this watch. Yeah. And like, even through all that, like the scene where she has to, where, um, the, oh God, but Rob, where Rob is, ha- where Rob's mom calls. And he has to tell her that oh my God. his brother's dead. That was such a like, sad Lily scene. Like, Lily comes over there and is, like, comforting him. And now you don't get any dialogue, so it could be them. They're, like, comforting each other mutually. Yeah. But it is, like, she's still the one that, through all of this, is still, like, taking the initiative to be, like, like, we need to, we need to take a moment and talk about this. Like, yeah. while yeah. we still, like, while we can. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that was a very tender moment of, with, with Rob talking to his mom. It was one of the moments that I cried. Um, well, and then the moment, with, the, so with like the sort of nine eleven allegory, like I think it's very specific that it is worded that it's worded when he said he specifically says uh, we were on the bridge when it hit, mm-hmm. and it's like obviously he's talking about the tail, but like that phrasing yep. specifically yeah. is very yeah, like yeah, very yeah. much nine eleven allegory. Yes, it is. Yeah. And, and not just like it's they're not just trying to um you know paint a picture of like what 9-11 felt like but but the impacts that it had afterwards and like the impacts that it had on people afterwards yeah and it directly exactly. it directly yeah. plays it's just like it's a part of the it's a it's a part of the cultural zeitgeist mm-hmm. at this moment and so it it affects the media that's being made. It's the same thing with Japan and post World War II. It's like you see it in the media, even if it doesn't have anything to do with it directly. You yeah, see it exactly because it's a it's a, it's a trauma on it's the a whole. Great document. Yeah. It's a great document to like point to like yeah. that moment in time. Yeah, it's, well, a, it's, it's a time this, capsule. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. it's yeah. it's sure. this movie and what I would argue Steven Spielberg's uh, War of the Worlds. Yeah. Because that was like that was like the first movie that really showed like when the the aliens start attacking, and then Tom Cruise gets that like dust of mm-hmm. like people and stuff, yeah. and it's like that moment when the when the aliens attack like that is really Spielberg just doing what he felt about nine eleven, mm-hmm. and, and and like, I feel like that like the pandemonium kind of opened up and the chaos yeah of like and I feel like that kind of opened yeah. up the floodgates for Hollywood to be like not just like oh it's okay for us to tackle 9-11 mm-hmm. but just to be like okay like audiences are somewhat okay with seeing this on film now well and maybe not thing. yeah maybe seeing an allegory for it and not like a direct yes. like biopic of like what happened yes exactly because it yeah. been it, it it took it took a while for there to be a biopic mm-hmm. um but yeah absolutely but freddie you want to you want to talk about the editing yes yeah. because I, I have a note about you have anything else i have a note about that okay. no yeah that's good um yeah so my so yeah i want to talk about the editing um because i think that i think that it's very much a example of found footage being pushed to the limit but i think it's also indicative of mm. how how much further that style of editing could go even outside of the found footage format. Um, but I'll get to that. I'll get to that in a second. <laughs> but so I really appreciate the way that it is. It's very specifically 
a like a mini dv cam footage like it is this is recorded to physical tape mm-hmm. and that's utilized as a storytelling yeah, element it is so the going you, back and forth between yep. what, what was on the original tape and then what's yeah. being recorded and what's yeah. being recorded over top of it and it's funny because like i did i remember doing that as a kid like mm-hmm. with the home movie camera <laughs> yeah. like going back to look at something that is like oh i want to see this and then i accidentally record over it and then playing it back i'm looking at this footage and i'm like really excited to see the the clip and then all of a sudden it's like just what what the camera is pointed at at the wall right now and i'm like oh god no i just erased it i recorded right over top of it and then it cuts back to the original footage um and you see like rob like when he finds out that he's record like um, he's recording over HUD the tape. He's recording over yeah. the tape, and he knows what's on the tape, and you just see that. that that's it's telling for the audience, and but you have to know that kind of media too. Like you yeah. have to know the significance yeah. of that media in order well, to understand cool, the significance of that plot point. It it the diegetically cool, the, the cool thing too. Well, it, yeah the the cool the cool fun fact that I have about the the DV tape is that what I read was is that the movie is eighty minutes, my like minus credits. Yeah. So, like, it's a total of 80 minutes, which is the longest you can record on a DV tape. Oh, my god! That's what I was, you know, I didn't look into it enough, yeah. but I was wondering that. Because I'm like, most of the <laughs> yes. DV tapes that I've ever used have been 60. But I'm like, okay. there has to be some longer yeah. one that they yeah. have paid attention to That's with what the I length read. of this movie. Okay, so yeah. with that, with the length of the recording tape, does that account for battery life? And that was the other thing. I'm like, there's no way this battery there's lasts no as long. There's no way that battery would have lasted as long as it lasted. No. He was using the flashlight yeah. and the infrared the vision, like, and the night vision. And I'm like, what? There's like like battery life goals. Like that yeah. camera was on for straight like 10 hours. I wish. I well, wish. he wasn't. Yeah. I mean, like it is edited. And there are times like where he does turn it off and turn it back on. Because like at the party, like he's constantly like, you know. Yeah going going to get people's confessions and then even at some points like it's like okay like now we're here now we're there because like even when it cuts to rob uh talking to his mom like it hard cuts to them later to like something you know something else in the subway yeah so like there has to be some moments where he turns it off but i do agree that like even if there are times where he turns it off the camera off it's still like you are wasting a lot of battery. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> like, exactly. Especially for that and time. The of, of the film, especially 2008. <laughs> by the end of the film, it's daylight. Like, it is yeah. now morning. Yeah. Like, that camera was on an entire night. night. I think he says yeah. that, he does he say it's like eight hours? Because he says at the end of the movie how long hours, it's been yeah. since they've been attacked. So, yeah. but I don't it's remember that Well, it, it, the, the fun, the cool thing that I caught about the time that he says is the time that is at the beginning of the movie. Like when he's recording the, mm-hmm. the, the day that they took to Coney Island. Oh, so okay. it's six forty two in the morning. That's oh. the cool fun thing that I have. <laughs> okay. That I noticed. Cause yeah. like, cause like when he said it, he said like, it's six forty two in the morning. Like, you know, there's this monster that's attacking and I'm like, that sounds familiar. And so when the movie ended, I restarted the movie and it cuts to him in the, you know, Bill, the hotel he's like it's 6 42 in the morning and i'm here with my beautiful girlfriend i'm like that's cool (laughs) yeah yeah so that's kind of poetic actually yeah and and so with sort of that backstory let me yeah yeah. so just to kind of tie back into this this 
editing part of it. Yeah. Um, I do think it's interesting with like the little ellipses that they do where they cut in between of this footage from earlier and it like can it contextualizes moments like that moment at the party when he realizes that he's recording over this tape like they give that bit of information as to what he's recording over right then yeah um and so it it like diegetically justifies a really jarring editing style but it it it, Um, it makes for great character development yeah and I do think that that party backdrop to start the movie out is a really effective way to introduce all these characters, mm-hmm. show how they interact with each other, mm-hmm. show how they're like related to one another, mm-hmm. all kind of like fluidly without it really feeling like that's forced. what they're it's doing. It's very natural. Yeah. Um, but what I was going to say is I think that cause ultimately, like if you were to take that type of editing out out of the context of it being a dv camera i think there's something to that and i think that that's almost like i think that could almost be looked at as like a tragedy of like the found footage format in general is that it's constantly tied to this and at the same time like that style of editing kind of gets looked down upon because the found footage format gets has like a really kitschy reputation so people don't people don't take it overly seriously but But i think cloverfield is the best to ever do the film footage like in my opinion better than blair witch like i mean yeah but what i'm saying is like i think with that though like i just i would i would love to see like that that same style of editing like what we are getting in cloverfield with these these quick bits of information being given to the audience, like just suddenly out of nowhere, like right when you need it, like what that would look like outside of the context of like, this is a video camera. Right. Right. Like if somebody was just willing to take that and go with it, because there was a period of time where found footage was like every third movie that came out where it's like, it's like, this is printing money, this format. And so that's where it, you know, this, connotation of it being like lesser quote unquote sort of developed like part of the i guess what i'm saying with like the tragedy is like i i wish that there would have been people that took that idea of editing like that fast-paced and that frenetically with because it is it's it's very Mm avant-garde in the way that it's just like it's just giving information Mm -hmm. to you and it, it doesn't seen, care, uh, like, about yeah. how, um, it doesn't care about the flow of the current scene. It's like, this is the information you need right now. Boom, here it is. And they justify it in this movie, and it works really effectively. It's, like, serendipitous with the type, with what the story is. Yeah. But I think that there is, like, an element there. Had Had people been willing to, like, take that risk and like push outside of the boundaries of just just keeping that type of editing within found footage yeah have you guys seen uh rec record yes i've seen the first one or no okay i'm confusing it with vhs (laughs) no rec is a rec is a film from mexico uh it got an american remake uh called quarantine 
but REC is the better one. Um, with REC, it's I think basically I saw quarantine. a quarantine. That's the one with the rats, right? I don't know. I okay. I remember probably seeing it in high school, but I the one that I rewatch is REC because REC is so good. But with REC, uh, with Record, it it's about a news reporter, uh, surprisingly, uh, going to a uh, firehouse and just documenting like a day in a firehouse, and then they get a call. And then now they're trapped in this house, um, and like scary, spooky stuff happens, and and things from that. But with that, like they use the camera in the way of like it's a news document, and so yeah. after once when they get told that they can't leave this house because they're quarantined and all this stuff, they start documenting it in a way versus like oh this is like for the news to like actually being like we don't know if we're going to survive this. So we need like someone to record this. And it almost has like the same editing style as Cloverfield. It doesn't have like a backing track, like Freddie's saying of like giving you that information for the audience for like character development like that. But it's just in this vein of like, it, it felt like it's pushing past the Blair, like what Blair, Witch like ended up starting. Mm-hmm. But yeah. And then now I feel like adding to Freddie's point, like I do feel like after REC, and then you get because I think REC came out in 2005 so then you get Cloverfield like I do think that Cloverfield might have peaked at the the found footage you know subgenre yeah Yeah. and that like it is just kind of sad that like what you're saying Freddie that like no one's ever thought to like maybe go back to like that kind of like style yeah and it's like it's like you don't have to I mean if you want to do more found footage you can but I just think I think there's some there's like an element there that I would I would love to see somebody explore and not just say like, oh, this style of editing is only exclusively able to be used in movies that are found footage movies. Just like Yeah. Yeah. You know, but I do think I mean Cloverfield is by far my favorite found footage movie. Yeah. Like rewatching the way that they this, do it is like I just wanna like like bring it in with like um what makes Cloverfield's found footage so unique is it's a horror film, right? And in a normal horror film that's not found footage, mm-hmm. whenever something eerie or spooky or scary is about to happen, there's like a swelling of music or there's like some sort of built up of tension. And I was taken aback in this rewatch. Like the first time, like I forgot how sudden it was. Mm-hmm. Like the first time that we have any inclination that something is wrong, it. I mean, they are in. They are in the middle of a conversation about like life is short. Like go get the girl, and then the lights cut off. The earth shakes, and you just hear a bunch of screams. Yeah, and it's just like, oh, but like that's what life is. Mm-hmm. Like in life, there's no build up of tension to kind of signify that something spooky is about to happen like it just happens yeah and i think that's like a testament to this type of filmmaking that just it's it's really hard to replicate it's really it's really hard to replicate and make it seem authentic but cloverfield did it like cloverfield makes it seem it's not forced it's very authentic and that's what makes it a great like found footage film it's it is it is masterfully executed yeah. and like because it's found because it's found footage 
like everything has to be diegetic they can't give you non-diegetic music mm-hmm. like or because then they're going to break that they're suspension break of the... disbelief so it's okay. like even at the party at the beginning when it cuts it it's it's um it's hud recording um uh, shoot, I forgot her name. She, the one, the girl that he has a crush Marlena. on, Marlena. It's him Which, recording like, Marlena. Lizzie and it's Kaplan is probably my favorite actor to come out of this movie. She I has freaking she, love her. She has the funniest line in this movie, in my opinion. Yeah, she the, has a lot of funny lines. <laughs> Are you aware of Garfield? Yeah. Um, yeah, but like it cuts to her and it's playing it's playing beautiful girls by Sean Girls by Sean Kingston. Oh my god, yes. I'm like, yes. That's so 2008. Dude, I was oh like throw back. I was oh. like, yeah. yo. So 2008. You know, I t- the bouncing b- bouncing off the music thing. I wrote that down as one of the points. I was like, yeah, like having no score works so well for the movie. It doesn't have a a score. Until the end, mm-hmm. the the end credits. The yeah. end credits have an overture by yeah. Michael Giacchino, the GOAT. <laughs> oh, one of the best film composers, in my opinion. Um, but yeah, like, it's just crazy that, like, like th- I didn't even think about that, that it didn't have, like, you know, violins or just music in general until at the end, because I watched the whole credits, and it said, yeah, overture by Michael Giacchino. I'm like, oh, wait, yeah, there is no music. There's like, no there's music no score. Though. Like, damn. Yeah. And it's so good at, like, building suspense and tension, like the subway scene, or oh. even, like, when they mm-hmm. escape the, scu- the subway scene and they're in the, what I'm going to say, the mall, or the department store, and the, the <laughs> army swats them. Like, it, it's so crazy um, when Marlene, you know, breaks out and, and stuff. Like, it, yeah, like, I, I just love, I just love all the bits of tension that build throughout the movie. Yeah. Right. And I do love with the way that they incorporate the news footage as well where they they run into that store and then it's like him recording the news footage mm-hmm. and you get like different news get, channels yeah too. you're like looking at the news channels yeah. you're getting like these sort of wider establishing shots it's like but an it's ingenious believable. way it's yeah. believable like they're in new york city yeah he just walks across the street to, to me, this tv yeah. store and they're showing the news like of course yeah it's, it's well, well to it me- works so perfectly mm-hmm. to get the types of shots that mm-hmm. they wanted to get in that news footage mm-hmm. it's like just put it in that and then we'll have them run in and get it and we've gotten that on screen in a way that's natural to the story yeah. and then at the same time well, you're what- like you know that what's what they're filming on the news is like just down the uh, two blocks away from yep. where they're at right now and that's scary yeah and like, what, what's what's also inter- what's also interesting about that scene too is is like again like what I like is that it's different news channels and they're not showing the same thing. It's not like most modern blockbusters where a tragic event happens and all the TVs switch to the president conference, <laughs> like yeah. all the TVs switch to like one one you know CNN or whatever. But what's also interesting too that I noticed is that one one TV or two TVs are also playing Spongebob. Yeah, I was just and about that, to say that. they're playing Spongebob? I didn't even notice that. Yeah. Yes, they're playing Spongebob and what I thought was interesting about that is that it can tie into the 9-11 stuff of like, you know, like you know, Nickelodeon isn't going to stop their broadcast you know, because it wasn't like 9-11 was happening but at the same time like it wasn't like World War 3 if that makes sense. Where like things were starting to calm down, so like it didn't have to be like we like most movies where it's like we interrupt this broadcast, like the world is ending, <laughs> you know, type yeah. type of thing. That it felt more real. That like, yeah, like you would just switch to the news channel to get the news versus like you're watching cartoons and it just switches to 
New York is under attack. Yeah. <laughs> the cartoon, the like, Cartoon Network, and the Nickelodeon and the Disney, they were not, they were not going yeah. to stop their broadcast yeah. for that. Yeah. Also, I think it's. I'm pretty sure the SpongeBob epi- like the episode of SpongeBob that is oh it's playing, the bodybuilding it's episode. A, it doesn't isn't it a news anchor that's on the TV in that scene? It's like a news anchor SpongeBob <laughs> well, scene. Yes, because because it's the one where he has the he wants to you know be like Larry. Yeah, and he gets the buff Living arms. Like it's the buff arm yeah, one, the buff, and so the it's them Brock. Yeah, it's them broadcasting like the competition. Yeah, so yeah, <laughs> that's a that's a very cool Easter egg. I like that. Um, but yeah, but yeah, I mean that I was. Do, I, what were you gonna say? I do have another. I do have another thing going off of editing to go to cinematography. I wrote down HUD is the Roger Dinkins of <laughs> of cameramen. Oh <laughs> it's my like, god! There, oh there are so many like snap zooms yeah. and like quick zooms that HUD has, and I understand like that is the director's intent. Like you have to show the monster here, or you know things like that. But there's some like moments in the movie where I'm like, God damn HUD, like you you're on it, man. <laughs> like if you survive this, you need to be like he a figured out how to use those that camera quickly for yeah. it not being his camera. Yeah, he's like, I don't really want to do this, and then like by like 20 up, minutes yeah. into the movie, he's, he's like, I, I gotta get all the footy, man. What are you talking about? Like, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Rob's the one that's I did, like, I did also, it's got, it's I did also appreciate, vision. yeah, I did also appreciate when he dies, the camera auto focuses, like it, it yeah, like it just to focus like the auto focus. Yeah, I loved that. Yeah, mm-hmm. and I love that touch because it shows that like. It shows that, like, nobody's a camera man. You know what I mean? Like, because, like, I remember, like, remember when we were in film class, Freddie, and they're, like, never use autofocus. Oh, <laughs> like, yeah. Like, you, sh- you should never use autofocus. And I was like, oh. <laughs> or, or even when we're in our photography class, like, they're like, yeah, you should, you know, auto, like, you know, focus your stuff. Like, you do it versus, yeah. like, autofocus. And I was just like, it was just such a cool touch of, like, yeah, no, this is a this is just a dude off the street. You know, like he doesn't know how to work this camera. So like, yeah. of course he uses autofocus. And I love that like subtle touch versus just it being, you know, perfectly in focus the whole time. Yeah. yeah. Otherwise, yeah, it would have been a kind of a mess. It would have been out of focus a lot. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, I was going to say something. I lost my train of thought. It's good stuff. Yeah. But yeah. Other, other, other than that, I, I, I can talk about, the i watched this film on the the 4k uh beautiful transfer but my thing is is like it feels a little bit taboo to watch (laughs) this movie in four in bright crisp 4k where i feel like i maybe should have bought maybe I i need to go back and buy the dvd and watch it in you know 40 480p. Yeah, I was I was actually <laughs> like going to ask I, you that because I knew you were watching the 4K version. Like yeah. how how it feels watching it because I specifically watched the DVD just to ask <laughs> you like how different it feels. And I between... watched it on Vudu, so I watched the digital version. So. What did you watch? Like an HD version as well? I watched whatever she watched. Has. She watched the 4K. Okay, because I feel like I, I was like, let me okay. watch it on DVD oh, because it's, not, it's meant oh, to okay. be. Like, it's meant to be, like, an early 2000s video camera. Like, that's not going to be 4K, obviously, right? I, I mean, I didn't yeah. feel like it was too It wasn't that bad. Much. There are, yeah. there I felt are like it a still lot, yeah. had the, 
had the older camera vibe. Um, yeah, yeah. Th- there are a lot of shots that have the grain like in it. Like when you really zoom in, Freddy, like it has that like old grain to it. And okay. there are some shots that like even like when it's just like a static like wide shot like with HUD and stuff like it does feel feel like it. But there are like some like when they're like running in the city and stuff that feel like crisp, you know, like Dolby Vision like like 4K. But like when you're in the movie like when you let the movie take take you like you don't even think about it type of thing and I'm, and to me like because i love this movie so much i i do i would recommend like getting it in 4k because it because like the movie never looked better in my opinion like this is this is how like the movie looks like how i felt like it probably looked when we watched it as a kid yeah. It was like, God damn, like this this is insane. And and to that point, like the CG and special effects are insane. Cause I also watched the VFX breakdown on the Blu-ray. And dude, there are some shots in this movie that you wouldn't even realize are all CG. Or just like all like them on a green screen that they're not even in New York. And it oh. looks like them in New York. Yeah. yeah. Like, this huh. is a whole movie that isn't, into, like, this isn't like Blair Witch, where they just sent actors to, you know, a forest and filmed, where they just sent these actors to New York. Like, there's a lot of, like, sound stages and, like, you know, green screen. Like, like, uh, like, there was, like, one shot where it's, like, Rob, you know, getting the, trying to call his girlfriend, like, on the, on the bridge before it collapsed. That was all green screen. For oh, him. interesting. Yeah, wow. and I'm like, it's a really cool breakdown of, like, how they did it and how they, you know, created the monster and, like, all the physics sims and things. And I'm like, this is, like, insane of, like, how much, like, it still holds up that you don't even think about that. There are, like, some, like, like in the subway, like, you can kind of tell that they're CG, you know, little bug monsters. But other than that, like, there's, like, a lot of, like, the movie that still holds up, in my opinion, where I'm like, this looks great. Yeah. yeah, and to the CG point, I just want to um, shout out the production design team for putting yeah. those two skyscrapers together. Yeah, um, the oh, the yeah. set of them walking onto the collapsed skyscraper from one of the top floors of the other skyscraper so that cool. it's leaning on. Yeah. Um, was so cool um and it looked so such good. a cool set piece and um i really like when like practical things are used like that and it just it really kind of like put you in the in the zone if there's another way to say that but like yeah i really like um i think it was just masterfully done and like the way that they had to like the way that when they were like walking through the hallways of the like of and the, it's like of leaning. the twisted building yeah. like it's leaning and they're like kind of like leaning on the walls um that was very cool so i mean i just think yeah there's a lot of a lot of effort and thought went into this entire movie and um you know i think i think we all really enjoyed it um i think i think we should maybe reveal our ratings for cloverfield what are what on letterboxd what do 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 does each of us rate Cloverfield starting with Freddie? So, so my letterboxed uh my letterbox ratings are I do the I do the one through five star yeah, with the half it? stars yeah. but then I also give it a secondary rating um that's like a little bit more like I can give it a star rating 
but I kind of feel like in general, that's it's hard to quantify it to a number. So I kind of just gave it a second rating based on if you should completely avoid it, if you should stream it for free if you get the chance. If you should rent, if it's worth spending a little bit of money to rent mm. it, if it's worth spending more money to buy it, or if it's worth buying like the most expensive version of it you can get. Yeah. So um, I gave it four stars, um, which if you look at my letterbox, I don't know. I maybe have two movies that I've given under like three. <laughs> so <laughs> I tend to give really high star ratings, but I did put it in the buy it category. I 100% think it's worth owning it's such a it's such like a great movie to just put on if it's like you see it and it's like one of those movies where like once you've seen it the first time you can like put it on and then if you're just like walking around doing stuff in your house you can tune into it and you're like okay yeah so like i know i know exactly where i where we're at in this story Mm -hmm. and i'm like i'm here for it. it it sucks you in so quickly just from like any point yeah i like that uh, so four stars, you yep. were, and, you, and you think it's worth buying. Um, see Bear, how do you do your letterbox ratings? Uh, my letterbox ratings, I do the ten point scale. So on letterbox, that includes like half stars. Um, yeah, and so things. like ten is five, um, a nine is four and a yes. half. Yes, yeah. yeah, exactly. So I gave Cobrafield a five out of five, ten out of ten. Wow, perfect um, film. Ten out of ten. Yes, with with my I like with my films that I rate, I kind of base them more off of the rewatchability, how much I enjoy it. Mm-hmm. Like, will I go with it? There are like some other categories of like, if a film is more like prestigious, let's just say mm-hmm. you know something where it is like a, a actual like masterpiece, then like yeah, I could probably give it a ten out of ten for that. But then with this like comparing like saying like oh but you gave you know the godfather a 10 out of 10 and then this is a 10 out of 10 like i don't agree with that it's like well that's because i think that this is a 10 out of 10 for me yeah because this is something where i can rewatch it all the time and those are the ones that i give 10 out of 10s because of the fact of like i i'm constantly like watching this movie i'm constantly consuming it versus just like i watched Mm -hmm. it once and yeah it might have been you know an amazing movie but you know, I probably won't touch it here and there. But yeah. yeah, I think this is an incredible film. I think it's highly rewatchable. And yeah, like I, every every year or every so often, I remember it and I'm like, gotta gotta watch it. Yeah, <laughs> gotta watch this movie. Yeah, especially during spooky season. Yeah, it was a really good pick oh, yeah. uh, for our first uh, film discussion. So I. Um, I'm similar to both of you in a way, um, the way that I give out five stars, but also the way that I don't really give out a whole lot less than three stars. I kind of rate films a lot like how I would like grade like yeah. work. Um, and basically like a three star, which equates to like a six out of 10 is like the, the, the worst you can do, but still pass. And so, if you get less than a three stars for me, like you're, that's a failing grade. Like you've yeah. failed. Um, but I would say like my fours, my four stars are like 
I really enjoyed this or maybe I didn't enjoy it but I can see the artistry behind it and I can see the effort put into it and I can give it props for that um I give out a lot of four and a halfs you know like movies that I really enjoyed that I think were made really well but maybe I just don't think are perfect um but my five stars are um, I don't know. Some people might think I throw out five stars a lot, but I think I, I give I give five stars oh, very I think... rarely. Um, <laughs> I give out five stars a lot. Don't I, worry. <laughs> I don't give out five stars that much. I, I think I, I think I'm very frugal with my five stars. But my five stars are I'm like a simple man. My five stars are like either I think this is a perfect film, like I think everything about it is executed absolutely perfectly, <laughs> or yeah. if it's not a perfect film, it is. It is like something that I just adore and love, and I just I it it, it is made for me. Like I you know I I rate for myself. I, I don't rate for you know a, a publication or anything. So it's like my five stars are like this is my favorite. This is one of my favorite movies ever. Um, I hear you. That's why that's why I rate Pitch Perfect five stars. Yeah, <laughs> I think I think that honestly, so, I think it's a lot more. I really enjoy film ratings that are based a lot on, like, individual personal preference than, like, when somebody's trying to just, like, objectively say, based on these ten things, this falls under this criteria. I just don't think that's as interesting. Like, I think getting to, like, getting, what do you feel like as a person that's watched this, I think, because I I think it makes for more interesting reviews. Yeah, I have some interesting five stars you know yeah. like might not be considered yeah. like one of the best films ever but it's something that really resonated with me personally yeah um and so with cloverfield i would say cloverfield for me is a easy four and a half stars it is a nine out of ten i think it's an amazing film i think it is I, what Let's something go. i really loved about cloverfield <laughs> is, is how short it is yeah um because it is it, 90 it, minute you bangers just, you start it and it's just like you're in it and then it's over um and so i really i really love that about the film it doesn't um, overstay its welcome it doesn't overstay its welcome i i don't necessarily think it's perfect um i but like i, I think it's close to perfect yeah so um and i can agree with that too. that's my four and a half star cloverfield um, rating. I, yeah. I, I loved it. <laughs> I so, loved it on this rewatch for sure. On the on the ten point scale we got a ten out of ten, a nine and a half or a nine a nine out of a ten nine and, and an, an eight. eight out of ten. So yeah. So we're, we're we're all up there. We're up there and we are clover filled lovers, I would yeah. say. So great way to get us started with spooky October Sea Bear. We really appreciate it. Um but that leads us into our second week of Spooktober, Spooky October. Um, next up is Freddie. Freddie's going to tell us what his pick is for next week uh, for Spooky October. What's um, it going to be? Alrighty, I will. So, for my Spooky October pick, I am going with 2019's Blood Quantum, directed by Jeff Ooh. Barnaby. Rest in peace. Um, he oh. died. Yeah, sad. Oh, it was it was uh, kind of a shock, but Aww. 
yeah, unfortunately, he is no longer alive. However, Tell- he has multiple films. He has a legacy, and we have a way to remember him through these films. And we are going to remember him through Blood Quantum. Tell us what Blood Quantum is about and why you picked it. So let me just, how about, I'll, I'll start, I'll just read the uh, letterbox little synopsis. Um, so letterbox says, the dead are coming back to life outside of the isolated Mi'kmaq reserve of Red Crow except for its indigenous inhabitants who are strangely immune to the zombie plague. Um, so, it is a, it's a zombie movie. Zombie! And Zombies. the premise is the premise is that the indigenous population are the only people that, for some reason, are not able to be infected by this zombie plague. I have never seen this, and I'm so interested in this concept. And I, I'm I'm definitely same, very same excited here. to... I'm really excited to talk about this movie. Yay. I've talked about it before. I have a lot of stuff to say about it because there is a there is a ton of allegory. It's very similar to something like Get Out in the amount of like layers that are here. Awesome. It's got like colonialism. It's got missing and murdered indigenous women. It's it's there's a lot to unpack in this movie that I think. Um, because it's an indigenous film and there's not a whole it, it it just doesn't get it doesn't get the love that it should there's not a ton of conversation happening around movies like this but it 100% deserves to have it okay um, I'm excited to get to talk about it next week too because I don't think Connor and I have seen it at all so um, we're we're excited about it uh, so next no, week I've... go ahead Connor yeah, no, I haven't seen it, but yeah, we're for our audience, uh, you can stream Blood Quantum on Shudder or AMC Plus, or you can rent it on Vudu, iTunes, and YouTube. Um, you can also buy them uh, on Vudu, uh, YouTube, and iTunes. And right now, as of this recording, it seems like it's on sale on Vudu for six ninety nine. So it's probably it cheaper can. to buy it than uh, rent it. I'm excited yeah. about this. So if you want to spend no money. Get that shutter free trial. If you want to spend yep. a little money, get that get that rental, buy it. Uh for me it's extra. Not to give away my rating, but obviously I'm I want to talk about this movie because I love it. But <laughs> yeah. All right. I have the Blu-ray, so. Okay. <laughs> Alright, well, um I just wanted to give us um some shout out. We do have an Instagram page called Triple Feature Pod, so follow us on Instagram for updates on our episodes. And any other um, updates we have on there. Um, but also, you should follow the three of us on Letterboxd. My Letterboxd is just Emma Hodge. E-M-M-A-H-O-D-G-E um, is my Letterboxd. Um, and Freddie's, yours is? Uh, mine is Freddie Dakota. Uh, the technical username is F Dakota. But I, th- I think if you search either one, I should, yep. I should come up. And Sea Bear? And mine is Big Papa Sea Bear. B I G P A P A C B E A R. Big Papa Sea Bear. Big Papa Sea Bear. All right. Search him yep. up. All right. So, yeah, follow us on Letterboxd so you can keep up with our reviews. Um, that is the end of our show today. Thank you for listening. If you've made it this far into the episode, 
You're a real one. We appreciate um, you. Yeah. <laughs> um, but we will see you next week when we talk about Blood Quantum. So if you want to be a yeah. part of that conversation, watch it. All right. Please your homework. watch it. That's your homework. All right. Bye, everybody. See you next week. Bye. Bye.